Please open your Bible with me, if you would, to the Gospel of Mark. Gospel of Mark, chapter 16. Look what it says there in the beginning of verse 9. When Jesus was risen, when Jesus was risen, beloved, our blessed Redeemer is risen, raised from the dead, raised from the grave. He is risen indeed. Beloved, our hope is not found in sound theology. Our hope is not found in denominational distinctives. Rather, our sure hope is found in a person, the risen Son of God. You see, all of our salvation is found in Him, who is our Savior and God, Christ Jesus the Lord. Keep your place there in Mark and turn with me to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Writing to Timothy, Paul tells us here about the things that he suffered for the gospel. And then he says in verse 12, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. I recently heard the testimony about uh, an old believer. And as she grew older, she had lost most of her memory. Now, though she had committed to heart God's word, but as you know, what happens when we get older, our memory tends to slip. But studying and reading and loving God's word as she did, she retained in her heart and mind the words found in this verse. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. That's a blessed verse. It sets forth so clearly the object of saving faith. And so as the health of this, our elder sister began to falter and she became frail, she could only remember just a part of that verse. I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. And as she further deteriorated, just before she departed her time state upon the earth, just before she departed to be eternally with our Lord, weak in body, weak and frail in her mind, her voice but a whisper, and her family would lean down and they could hear her repeating just one word, just one word, beloved, The only word she could remember from this verse in 2 Timothy. Him. Him. Though she had seemingly lost all her memory of the Bible, one word would never leave her. Him. And yet, beloved, in that one word, she had the message of all Scripture. Him. You see, this book, God's only holy book, is all about Him. God's beloved Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Isn't that what the Lord said to those two that walked on the road to Emmaus? Those two disciples were so full of doubt, and our Lord said to them, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expanded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. My friend, this book is all about Christ. And beloved, this ministry that God has given to us here at Sovereign Grace Church, well, it's a ministry about the Lord Jesus Christ. I like that verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. It says there, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, it's not my ministry, it's not your ministry, it's this ministry. Indeed, it's his ministry. And as we see, therefore, we have this ministry, and we have received mercy, we faint not. You see, we preach not ourselves. Indeed, God's people are not self-promoters. No, no. Rather, we preach Christ and Him crucified. We preach not ourselves, but ourselves, your servants, for Christ's sake, serving one another in love. And so, beloved, we preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, my friend, this book is all about Him. We read in Acts chapter 10, verse 23, God's word declaring, To Him, that is, to the Lord Jesus Christ, give all the prophets witness, that through His name, whosoever believeth in Him, and there's that blessed word again, Him. You see that? It's a hymn book. And whosoever believeth in Him shall receive remission of sins. And so why have we come here this morning? Well, we've come here today, beloved, to worship Him. Our Lord declares, and this is recorded in John's Gospel, chapter 4. These are the words of our Lord and God. The hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. My friend, just as John wrote in the gospel that bears his name, we preach, we publish the gospel in this local church that ye may believe, that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. You see, I want you to know, trust, and fall in love with him who is altogether lovely, the Lord Jesus Christ, God's Son. May God be pleased this morning to cause us to set our hearts upon him. Indeed, may our Heavenly Father be pleased to grant us faith that we might look unto his well-pleasing, beloved Son, Christ Jesus the Lord, and to win him and be found in him. Now, it's not my desire to simply convince you of the facts of the resurrection. You see, someone can read and understand what's being said here about the scriptural historical facts of the resurrected Lord, but that's not my desire for you, to simply convince you of the facts of the resurrection. You see, my friend, I want you to know him who is the resurrection and the life. For if you know him and the power of his resurrection glory, well, that's salvation, knowing him. You see, you must know him if you're to call upon him to be saved. As we read this past Wednesday, and this is from the book of Romans, chapter 10. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
You see, just simply knowing the facts or even knowing the doctrine of the gospel, well, that's not salvation. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, you can be rooted and grounded in what we call the five points of Calvinism and understand that doctrine, but that's not salvation. You see, I want you to know him who is salvation. John sets forth in his first epistle how that knowing our Lord and having him is the only thing that matters. He writes in 1 John chapter 5, verse 12, He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. You see, my friend, salvation is found in a person. And looking at this portion again, we're looking at Second Timothy, just before we continue. I want you to look at that word, whom, again. The apostle says there in Second Timothy chapter 1, Verse 12, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Paul said, I know whom I have believed, not when I believed, not what I believed, but rather ever so blessedly, I know whom I have believed. You see, salvation is to know Christ the Lord. And my friend, I want you to know him, for he is salvation. Oh, that our Heavenly Father would grant you to be made one with him, being vitally joined to him, saved by that faith that is not of ourselves, but the gift of God, who is the way, the truth, and the life. Oh, to know him, to count everything loss, dung, ruin, and loss, and to win Christ and be found only in him. You see, salvation is not in a denomination. Salvation is not in a church. Salvation is in Him, in Christ Jesus the Lord. You see, my friend, salvation is in a person. And so as this wretched sinner behind the pulpit looks to Christ alone to be saved, I trust that you too, my wretched friend, are looking with me as all God's people look alone to Christ, looking to Him, to everlasting life, trusting in the doing and dying and deliverance of the Lord Jesus Christ. Beloved, He is risen. Now, I just have three things I want us to look at this morning. The first thing I want to look at is that all the many indisputable scriptural God-given truths that the Lord of glory has given to us, all these blessed truths of His glorious resurrection. Again, look at Mark chapter 16 and verse 9. Now, when Jesus was risen. Remember the two heavenly angels sent to them from the very throne of God, they declared unto the woman, verse 6, Be not affrightened. Ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. But go your way. Tell his disciples and Peter that goeth before you into Galilee, that, that he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him, as he said unto you. And Luke records in 
in chapter 24, verse 5, those heavenly angels declaring, Why seek ye the living among the dead? Verse 6, He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day raise again, rise again. And they remembered his words. You see, my friend, salvation is in the living Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if the resurrection of the Lord of glory is a hoax, if it's a fraud, if it could be proved that Jesus Christ didn't actually die for our sin and was not raised and is not ascended again to glory and is not seated on the right hand of God, if that could be proved to be a fraud, then the whole Bible must be disregarded as a lie and must be dismissed as something other than the Holy Word of God. You see, if there's no resurrection, if our Redeemer be not raised up, well, beloved, that would mean we have no atonement for sin. Indeed, if my Redeemer be not risen and exalted on the throne of God, if the Lord of glory is not there, well, then we would have no forgiveness of sin. You see, beloved, if our Lord Jesus Christ is not the absolute victor as the captain of all of our salvation over all our sin, well, then we are yet in our sin and we have no gospel message. And that would also mean that the gospel would be not good news at all. For if he was not delivered for our offenses and raised again because he justified us by his blood, well, we would have no hope, beloved. I mean, without his resurrection, we would have no hope of mercy. We would have no hope of forgiveness. We would have no hope of salvation. But my friend, the resurrection is the blessed reality of the gospel of Christ. Beloved, we believe, we preach, indeed we know the power of his bodily resurrection and the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, he said to them, and we read this in Luke chapter 24, he said, Behold my hands and my feet. A spirit doesn't have flesh and bones as you see me now. As, as you see me now. And in effect, our Lord demonstrated it. I am a real glorified man, Give me some fish and some honeycomb, and I'll sit down to eat with you. And so he sat down and ate and broke bread with those two men on the road to Emmaus. A real man glorified in a body like no other body. A body just as we're going to have, beloved, someday in the resurrection glory. I want us to turn and read two other scriptures on, on this. If, turn with me to uh, Acts. And this is what the scriptures set forth about the resurrection. Acts chapter 1. Turn there with me, if you would. And look there with me in verse 3. Acts chapter 1, verse 3. God's Word declares, To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion, that is, after his suffering, by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. He walked around for 40 days in his resurrected body before he ascended to the throne. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In 
verse 1. Now, Paul is writing here, speaking of how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And verse 3, Where I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that, He was seen of above 500 brethren at once. 500 people at one time saw the physical, glorified, risen body of the resurrected Lord. Now, why would God, the Holy Spirit, have Paul record that blessed fact? Why is this so important and fundamental to the gospel of our salvation? Because, beloved, his resurrection is the crowning proof of the acceptance of his redeeming priestly work with the Father. Indeed, it's the crowning sign that our Heavenly Father's will was satisfied. The redeeming work of the Lord Jesus Christ has been accomplished. Indeed, the salvation of those covenant people he was given to save has been finished. Remember what our Lord said? This is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. If you would turn with me to Romans chapter 1. And look there with me beginning at the beginning of the chapter. Verse 1. Romans 1 verse 1. Paul writes here how he is a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated under the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. You see, his resurrection declares his priestly work was accepted of the Father, and that he actually and really made complete satisfaction for our sins, beloved, all the sins of his people. The angel sent of the Lord declares, Call his name Jesus, for he shall, not might, not maybe, but ever so blessedly, he shall save his people from their sins. The importance that Scripture places upon this glorious fact cannot be emphasized enough. Indeed, his resurrection is the predominant theme of the preaching recorded in the book of Acts. And why is that? Because, beloved, it sets forth plainly and clearly for all to see how that our salvation has been accomplished. And we know this, beloved, because in the preaching of the gospel, we learn how that God raised his beloved son from the dead. You see, he is the great shepherd of the sheep. And he says in power, authority, majesty, and glory of all which the father has given me to save, I should lose nothing. Beloved, it was the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, to make you perfect in everything, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. You see, Christ hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. 
Turn with me to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1. Now look there with me in verse 3. 1 Peter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You see the importance the Scripture places upon His resurrection? Verse 4. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, in these last days of this gospel dispensation. The Scriptures, the Word of God, the Bible gives importance to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the Revelation, our Lord declares there in chapter 1, verse 18, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And then he says to those disciples in John chapter 14, Because I live, ye shall live also. The good news of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ is a reality, beloved. And that glorious fact was not made known to us. And if that glorious fact, beloved, was not made known to us, if he was not raised up, well, then we would be, well, then that would mean we're yet in our sins. But, beloved, rejoice. He is risen indeed. Now, here's the second thing. Our risen, glorified, sovereign Lord makes himself first known to Mary Magdalene. Again, Mark 16, verse 9. Now, when Jesus was risen early the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven devils. Notice the Lord appears to this woman first. Remarkable, is it not? I mean, the Lord could have chosen to show himself first unto his mother, or the beloved apostle John, or Peter. Both of them ran to the tomb, but our Lord passes by all those others and appears to this woman. Now, John's record gives us a little more information about this woman being the first to meet our risen Lord. In John's Gospel, chapter 20, we read there in verse 11, John 20, verse 11, But Mary stood without the sepulcher weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked in this, into the sepulchre, and seeth two angels in white sitting, the one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. And when they saw her, they say unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She saith unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was our risen Lord. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, 
if thou, if thou have borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus saith unto her, Mary. She turned herself, and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. He speaks one word to her. He just calls her by her name, and she knows him. Remember, beloved, his sheep hear his voice. They do know him, and they do follow him. And our Lord Jesus saith unto her, verse 17, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren, and say unto them, I ascend unto my father, and your father, and to my God, and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord, and that he had spoken these things unto her. Now notice the Lord sovereignly passes by all the apostles, all the men of preeminence, and chooses to reveal himself first to this poor woman. And what we learn from that is this. How that our Lord Jesus Christ is sovereign in everything. And in salvation, he will have mercy on whom he will have mercy. He prayed that in John 17. He said, The Father hath given me power over all flesh, that I should give eternal life to as many as the Father has given to me. You see, salvation, as it's revealed in the Word of God, sets forth how that the Lord will save whom he will and show and reveal himself to whom he will. And he does so according to his own good pleasure. You see, my friend, salvation is always determined, dependent, and based upon the Lord's unchangeable sovereign grace in Christ Jesus. And the Father has hidden these things from the wise and the prudent, and has revealed them unto babes. And his beloved Son says, Even so, Father, for it seemed good in your sight to work all things after the counsel of your own holy and perfect will. You see, salvation is a matter of grace. It's not a matter of, of works, of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. My friend, all of us are guilty. We've all sinned against God, and all of us are deserving of eternal condemnation. So therefore, salvation is by the free grace of God alone. It's not by might. It's not by what you will. It's not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth. Rather, salvation is of God that showeth mercy. Beloved, he sovereignly chose to reveal himself to this woman first. And that's a great lesson for each of us. How that salvation is not when it pleases you. Salvation is not when it pleases me. No, no. Rather, salvation is when it pleased God. As the apostle said, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me. Now, the second thing we see here is how that salvation is for sinners. Oh, to find a real sinner, a wretched, wicked sinner. You see, salvation is only for sinners. Our Lord said, I didn't come to call the righteous, those who are well and don't need a doctor. I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And Mary Magdalene was one who was possessed with seven demon spirits. And that number seven is a number of completion. And so that's what the significance of this seven is speaking of here. How that she was possessed with seven demon spirits. And the, the significance means simply this. 
how that she was completely consumed with these wicked demon spirits residing in her. You see, she was consumed with sin and with evil, and yet the Lord cast out those demon spirits. Mary Magdalene didn't clean herself up in order to merit God's favor, did she? No, she was helpless. She could not rid herself of these demon spirits, and further, she had no desire to be rid of them. You see, sinners love darkness, not light. Yet the Lord eternally chose her to salvation, and he sought her out, and in time crossed her path and had mercy on this poor woman. And beloved, that's exactly what God does today in the salvation of sinners like you and me. Indeed, he makes great saints out of great sinners. I love that verse in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And that includes the sinner behind this pulpit. Does someone think, Pastor, you shouldn't say things like that? Well, certainly most people in religious circles would never call themselves a sinner. But what does God's Word tell us? We read in 1 John chapter 1, verse 10, and we were just looking at this in our Sunday class. 1 John chapter 1, verse 10. If we say that we have not sinned, we make God out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. By God's undeserved grace, by the light of Christ Jesus my Lord, God's holy and well-pleasing Son, I know what I am. Well, what am I? My friend, I'm a sinner through and through, born in sin, shaped in iniquity, a sinner by nature, a sinner by choice, a sinner by practice. Indeed, I can't live one moment without seeing everything I think, say, or do is tainted with sin. That's what I am. That's what this old nature is. But, beloved, our blessed Lord makes great saints out of great sinners. The Scriptures declares that the Lord Jesus Christ died for the ungodly, those who are filled with all manner of evil spirit, and that He fills them with God the Holy Spirit. You see, He sheds the love of God abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And those who are once far off in sin and guilt are made nigh by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Beloved, one time we were without God, without hope, and without Christ but now, by His grace, we've been made nigh unto Him, cleansed from all sin by His precious blood. Like those infant children in Ezekiel chapter 16, those who were cast out to the loathing of their persons, well, He makes them sons of God. He adopts them into His family and makes them the sons of God and makes us to cry out with the Apostle, Behold, what manner of love is this that the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Oh, what undeserved grace that the Father should make us the sons of God. Beggars like you and me, who are in the dung heap of sin, 
he raised up to be made kings and priests unto our God. And we sing unto him who loves us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Beloved, to him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. You see, those who were once dead in sin, he's made them new creatures in Christ Jesus. And that's what happened to Mary Magdalene. In the Lord's good providence and purpose, she met him and he did a work of grace in her heart. One time, she was totally contrary to Christ. But now she's in love and she stands there at his crucifixion where all the men deserted. And she's the first one at the tomb early that morning. Why such devotion? Why such love? Well, she loved as only those who have been forgiven much. You see, they love much. And this woman is in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. My friend, salvation is not for good people. No, no. Rather, salvation is for sinners. You see, he came to seek and to save the lost, the ungodly. A dear friend of ours, his wife was in hospice care and she was dying of cancer. And I she was asked how she was doing, and I believe the the sense of the question was, How is your soul? And she said that her only hope was that she really was a sinner. And some of you who have not as yet heard the gospel with the hearing ear or seen the Lord with the the eye of faith, you may be struck at such a strange comment. You see, beloved, her only hope was that she truly was a sinner, that the God himself in love and the light of Christ had revealed to her from the top of her head to the bottom of her feet all she was and is, is sin. Now, why is that such good news for the believer? It's not good news for the pretender. There's lots of religious folks all around us. You come up to them and you say, I'm a brother or sister in Christ, and you find out very quickly they're more like the Pharisee than the publican. More like that man who said, I'm not like other people are. But beloved, rejoice in this. I pray everyone here gathered here this morning can enter into this and rejoice. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He didn't come into the world to try and save everybody. He came into the world to save helpless sinners who can't save themselves. And when our Lord Jesus Christ, in the covenant of grace, in the eternal counsel of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, our Heavenly Father commanded him to come into this world and save his people. And he has, beloved. This is why the resurrection is so important. In the resurrection, we learn and we understand in the light of Christ how that the two things I desperately need to be saved, he accomplished. What do I desperately need? I need to be cleansed of all my sin. And he did that, beloved, by his precious blood. By his precious blood. And we were singing that earlier, what we read in Isaiah. Come now. Let us reason together. 
Though your sins be like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. And the gospel is much more than that, beloved. Not only do I need to be washed truly and completely of all my sins, I need to be perfect. <laughs> and I can't do that. Neither can do. But the Lord Jesus Christ, the God-man Jesus Christ, came into this world to live out a perfect, righteous life on behalf of his people. As God, he does not need to be living a righteous life, but as a man, he needed to do so that, so that he could be both the just and justifier of them that believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is why we rejoice this morning in our Lord and God, Jesus Christ, that he saves all those that come to the Father through him. And he saves us, beloved, not almost, but ever so blessedly to the uttermost. Now, here's the third thing. How merciful, how gracious is our blessed Lord to his weak, failing, sinful people. Look at verse 10 of Mark, Mark's gospel. Mark 16, verse 10. And she went and told them that had been with him as they mourned and wept. And they, when they heard that he was alive and had been seen of her, disbelieved. They believed not. And after these things, he was manifested in another form unto two of them as they walked on their way into the country, as they walked on the road to Emmaus. And they went away and told it unto the rest, and neither believed believe they them. And afterward, the Lord was manifested unto the eleven themselves as they sat at meat. And he upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they believed not them that had seen him after he was risen from the dead. Three times in these two verses, when the disciples are told plainly and clearly, he is risen. I mean, the angels didn't proclaim, I think he's risen. They didn't pro pro proclaim he might be risen. No, no, rather, the angels declared, the Lord is risen indeed. And instructed them to go repeat that message to them. And the Lord himself appeared to them and said to them, go tell them I'm risen. And yet... They believe not. Three times in these few verses, the disciples are told, the Lord is risen from the dead, and yet they believe not. Mary Magdalene repeated the words of the angels and of the Lord, and they still believed not. The Lord appeared to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. They went and told the others, the Lord is risen, and they believed not. Again, verse 14 and afterward he was manifested, that is, he appeared unto the eleven themselves as they sat at meat, and he upbraided, that is, he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they believed not them that had seen him after he was risen. He said they believed not the record of these many witnesses. Now, though the Lord does indeed rebuke them, but notice he does not forsake them. Rather, he appears to them not once, but twice. And then stayed with them for 40 days, declaring unto them the gospel of his blessed person and his finished saving work. Now, the Lord Jesus does chastise them for their unbelief. But, beloved, he does not condemn them eternally for their unbelief. And so why does he rebuke them? Why does he rebuke them? Because, beloved, he loves them. Whom the Lord loveth, he chastens and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth. 
even as a father correcteth the son in whom he delighteth. Now, what can we learn from this verse 14? Well, as the Lord rebukes his disciples for their unbelief, I mean, they were clearly and plainly told the Lord is risen, and yet they repeatedly refused to believe. Thomas said, I won't believe you unless I can touch him. And so what can we learn from this? Well, two things. First of all is this. God's saints, believers, are still sinners. Indeed, the best of men are only sinful men at best. I mean, how many times do we find and read about his disciples so full of doubt, so full of fear and unbelief? In Matthew chapter 8, when the Lord was on that ship with those disciples, and the great storm came up, and the ship started to sink, and the Lord was on the other side of the ship sleeping, and they waked him up and said, Don't you care, Lord? We're perishing. The ship's sinking. Remember what he said? O ye of little faith. And he rebuked the wind, and there was a great calm. And they said, What manner of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? On another occasion, when the disciples were out, and you know they were fishermen, they were out in those boats all the time, and the one midnight they were out fishing, and here the Lord Jesus Christ came to them walking on the sea. And again they were afraid, and Peter said, Lord, if it's you, bid me to come to you, that I may walk on the water. And Peter gets out of the boat and starts to walk. That is, until he takes his eye off the Lord and looks at his trouble. And he began to sink, and he said, Lord, save me, else I perish. And he said, O ye of little faith, why did you doubt? Again, in Matthew 16, when the Lord had just fed thousands and thousands of people, and the disciples were concerned about bread to eat for that afternoon, and again he said, O ye of little faith. My friend, did you know that a little faith is saving faith? I mean, if it's God-given faith, the faith that's not of ourselves. Remember that verse in Ephesians 2, verse 8? For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. And so, beloved, let us cease to feel surprise when we find doubts and fears arising in our own hearts. Let us cease to expect perfect faith in us or in others. For you see, we're still yet in this body of flesh where no good thing dwells. We can say with the Apostle Paul, O wretched man that I am. And so let us pray to be delivered from unbelief, but let us not conclude because we find doubt mingled up and mixed up with our God-given faith. Let us not conclude that we have no grace in our heart. If sometimes we have seasons of doubt, fear, and unbelief. And so, beloved, let's not conclude that we have no grace at all. Rather, let's pray as that sinner did. Remember that father who brought his demon-possessed child to the Lord? And he said, If you can, please help me. And the Lord said, All things are possible to them that believe. And the father, so distressed over his child who was dying, said, Lord, I do believe. Help my unbelief. And beloved, that's our prayer. Lord, I do believe. Help my unbelief. May God help us not to despair, but rather with faith look to the Lord Jesus Christ for mercy, for grace to help in our time of need. Now, something else before we conclude our time together. Notice the blessed overruling hand of our all-wise God 
who brings great glory out of evil. You remember what Joseph said to his brethren when they sold him into slavery? You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Beloved, even our unbelief, God can overrule that to his glory. And here's the point. If they were so full of unbelief and doubt about the resurrected Lord at first, who was so finally and fully convinced by the resurrection of the Lord and his real bodily resurrection from the dead at last, for they were not convinced until it was impossible for them to deny his presence, how strong a proof is their testimony now that the Lord Jesus Christ is indeed risen from the dead? My friend, do you see how their unbelief when they were finally and fully convinced, how it bears great testimony to their witness that it is valid, that it is indeed true. And so let us ask ourselves this question. Have I been raised up with Christ? Have I been resurrected from the dead? Am I made a partaker of that divine nature in regeneration and made a new creature in Christ Jesus? Has that taken place in here? In the heart? We know the Lord Jesus Christ is exalted the right hand of God. Well, has he been exalted in our heart? You see, salvation is not just learning the facts. You know the doctrine of the gospel in the head. Rather, salvation is experiencing the regenerating power of God, the Holy Spirit, in the heart, making us to love him, submit to him, and trust him for all our salvation. Beloved, Christ revealed in you is the hope of glory, not merely to you, beloved, but ever so blessedly in you. Now, remember the testimony I mentioned at the outset, the story of the old woman who had lost all her memory of the Bible? And in her dying hour, in her last breath, she summed up the gospel of our salvation with just one word, him, him, him. May the Lord do for us as he did for our elder departed sister. Lord, cause us to see him who is altogether lovely. Cause us to believe him, to be persuaded that he is able to save to the uttermost all that come to God by him. May God be pleased to cause us to love him. And beloved, we love him only because he first loved us. May God be pleased to cause us to submit and bow to him and to confess that he is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. Pray the Lord will bless the glorious gospel concerning his beloved, well-pleasing son to your heart this morning. Amen.